Thank you so much for tuning in to this message from New Life Church. Stay tuned because what you'll hear this morning is guaranteed to help you know Jesus better. But um, we're also kicking off a series this week, and um, it's, we're going to look at a character in the Bible that is incredibly important, but really as important as he is, he's very overlooked in terms of just people talking about him. And uh, he's the first king of Israel. He, he, was, man, he was the guy who like brought the people of God into a monarchy. Like his role was humongous, but we don't like to talk about him because he was horrible. Like, and he was just really bad at doing the thing that he was supposed to do. And so what I thought would be kind of cool is if we looked at his story, not as an example of someone who we should try to be like, but really if we were to look at his story and, and know Jesus better by not being like him at all. And, and the guy, the man's name is Saul. And we're going to call the series Better Not Call Saul because you don't want to be like Saul. Like he's one of those guys. You're going to see from the very beginning that he is a person that you look at his life and it's like, okay, if he's doing this, then I should probably just go ahead and do the opposite. He's one of those type of people. And the text we're going to look at this morning, it actually doesn't even address Saul, but it explains how Saul came to be King Saul. And I don't, I don't know if you've ever had a moment in your life where, I don't know, you asked for something and you didn't realize what you were asking for. Like that's kind of how it, that's kind of how it goes. Is like he, they ask for something and they don't realize what they were asking for. And this happened to me when I was a kid. Uh, we we just moved to Nebraska. We just moved from Nebraska to Missouri, and I was five, young and naive, and I wanted so badly. I wanted a dog. You know, like when you're five, like that's what you want. You want a dog. And, uh, and so I, I was five years old. We just moved in. I think my parents were trying to, you know, make the move exciting for me. And so they're like, I, I told them, I was like, Mom, Dad, I, I really would like a dog. And my parents, they did that shtick that every parent does when you ask for a dog. They say, well, Ryan, if you want a dog, you got to take care of it. And so for about two weeks, I took care of that dog. Little did I know my parents were prophets, because in about two weeks after that, my parents became that dog's primary caregiver. And, and, and so for, for about two years, I had this dog that my parents took care of. We named him Arnold after Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so it, it, we, I had this dog, and for about two and a half years, I think my parents got to this place where they were like, I don't want this dog. I didn't sign up for this dog. And so what they did is they arranged a coup with our neighbors. And our neighbors, they were moving to a, probably a farm somewhere. And as they moved to this farm somewhere, they arranged that in the middle of the night, they would come and take the dog to the farm. I wake up in the morning, I don't have a dog. My parents told me the neighbors stole the dog. Think about that. Yeah, my parents are horrible. Just kidding, they're here. I love them, they're great. Love you, Mom. Um, <laughs> And so, they, like, and so the ends of this dog disappears. But here's the thing. Like, if we go back to the very beginning, what was the thing? I asked for something that I wasn't ready for. I asked for something that, to be honest with you, I just couldn't handle at that point in my life. And life has shown that at any point in my life, I can't handle taking care of a dog. So that's kind of where it's at. And as we look at Israel, okay, as we look at the people of Israel this morning in the text, this is where they are. They are at a point in their history or man, to be honest with you, their history is checkered. It, it, lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of just like trying to figure out what's happening. 
And they're in a season in the period of, of, of biblical history called the period of the judges where they are experiencing really unprecedented peace. Unlike anything they've ever experienced before. And so as they've experienced this peace and they look ahead, here's what they think. They think, we don't want this to end, so we're going to take matters into our own hands. And that brings us to 1 Samuel chapter 8. You can look at it with me this morning. It says this, it says, when Samuel, Samuel was the judge, the ruler at the time. It says, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of his second, Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together at Ramah and came to Samuel. And they said to him, this is not how you start a conversation. Behold, you are old. That's just like a bad way. Like that's just like, you're looking, if, if you start a conversation that way, you're looking for a fight. He says, behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Notice that like all the nations comment. But this thing displeased Samuel. And then they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all they say to you. For they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. This is quite the story. This is quite the circumstance that you have this group of people who are coming to their leader in a time of prosperity. And they're saying, I want to take matters into my own hands. I, I, want, I want success. And as you consider this, I want to look at three aspects of the text this morning. And the first aspect is their request. As they come, they come to Samuel and they say, make us, like, put a point for us a king. And, and I think it's really easy to look at the text and be like, man, what an idiot. Like, why would they think to do that? Like, obviously there's a problem here. But, but we have to realize that the people asking the question, that these people have experienced a level of success from their enemies that is unprecedented in their history. That the way it's worked with Israel up until this point and really continuing as it moves forward beyond, beyond, this, beyond the time of the judges is so goes the king, so goes the nation. And Samuel has been leading, he's been leading as a judge and he's been an incredible judge. And because he's trusted the Lord, God has given them favor. And really it came down to in this, in this period, them fighting with a group of people named the Philistines. And I just want to read to you in 1 Samuel chapter 7, what it says about their struggle with the Philistines during the time of Samuel. Let me read this to you here. It says this. It says, so the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. This is their primary adversary. This is the person who thwarted all of their plans, that this is their enemy. And during this time, they're, they're leaving them alone because the favor of God is on them because of Samuel's leadership. 
And it says, And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. That this is where they are. This is what they're holding on to. This is what they, they don't want to change. And so they come to Samuel, the greatest leader they've had up to this point, and they say, I think I know how to keep this going. Let's have a king. But it's not just a king they ask for. It's a king like the other nations. And that's what's really important because sometimes you can read the text and at first glance you think God's like against monarchies and that's really not true. That if you go back in biblical history, what you're going to find is that they knew a king was coming. Let's, let me show you a few examples. This is, this is God speaking to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Let me read this to you here. It says, this is, and when you come to the land, the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it and then say, I will set a king over me like the nations around me. The Lord says, you may indeed set a king over whom the Lord, will, over whom the Lord God will choose. This was hundreds of years before this moment God knew it was going to happen. But even if you go back, right now we have the people of Israel, but before there was a people of Israel, there was a man named Abraham. And God gave this man Abraham a promise in, in Genesis chapter 17. Let me read it to you here. It says this, it says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations. Kings shall come from you. So from the very beginning, before they were even a people, God knew that kings were going to come. That even if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 2, Samuel's mother was a woman named Hannah and she prayed this prayer. She says, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. But it, it wasn't the fact that they wanted a king. It was the fact they wanted a king like the other nations. It's one thing to try to set up a king, but it's that they want one like the other nations. And if you notice how God responded to the request, Samuel's distraught. Because they've rejected me, and God's like, no, they didn't reject you in their request. They rejected me. Because when they say they want a king like the other nations, here's what, because the way it's gone so far, in the history of Israel, what would happen is they would experience challenges. They would experience hardships. Things would come to them they didn't want, and what they would do is they would call on God. And when they would call on God, God would raise someone up, and God would deliver them. What they're saying is they're saying, we want a king like the other nations, so there'd be no more calling on God. It, they would just have the leader that's already in place. They want to remove their dependence of God out of the equation. Not only that, but when they say a king like the other nations, you've got to look, okay, so what nations are they looking at? And they're, they're looking at an ancient Near Eastern context, which is a little different. And the way that kings worked in the ancient Near East was, it was the idea that a king would direct the gods and that the gods would respond to the king. Whereas when you, when you think about God, that's really not how God works, but really God directs the king and that's how it's supposed to go in, in, in Israel's context. So what they're saying is saying, we want a king like the other nations because we want one whom we can control, not one who will dictate what we do. And so, so then this happens and then and then not only that, John Woodhouse in his commentary on 1 Samuel, 
He actually, as he talks about this idea of them wanting a king like the other nations, he says, what Israel is doing in this moment is they're saying to God, they're saying, God, we, we know we had this agreement from the very beginning, this covenant from the very beginning. We'd like to turn our backs on that covenant that we had from the very beginning, and we want to start something new. We don't want to be in covenant relationship with you anymore. So what they're saying is they're saying, God, we, 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 we don't want that. They're saying, we want the success We want the favor. We want the blessing without the relationship and without the person. And as we think about it, like, as you think about returning the page on this year, that here we are in 2021, I would imagine that you're looking at your life and you're looking back on this past year and you're probably thinking one of two things. Probably looking back and you're thinking, you know, I really would like more of the same. You know, a pandemic aside, like maybe, but, but like, you no know, one's like, I'd like another, but you're thinking like, man, you know what, 20, it hasn't been that bad for me that, you know, I, I got a promotion, life's been pretty good, I, I've kind of climbed to this new level. So you look back and you're like, man, I kind of would, I kind of like to keep going with what I'm doing. And some people are looking back on 20, that's what they're thinking. Some people are probably looking back on 2020 and I would say that they're thinking the opposite. They look back and they say, gosh, I just, this year has been something. And if I never have to go through something like that again, gosh, I would, I, I would avoid that. And a lot of times the reason why we say this is about, it's about success. It's about things that we want in our life, getting what we want or not getting what we want. You know, and as you think about Israel, like this is, they're looking at what something they have. They're turning the page on a monarchy and they're saying, we don't want this to change, so I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that this continues happening. And as we look at our lives and we consider, it really makes us ask the question, okay, why is it that I want the success? Why is it that I want God to bless me? Why is it that I want God to go before me? And sometimes what an honest person has to do is they have to look at their lives and consider the motives of their hearts and realize that maybe it doesn't have a lot to do with just enjoying God's favor. And it has a lot more to do with wanting to look better than someone else. And when that is our motivation, us like them, what we'll say is we'll do is we'll do whatever we can to get what we want. But if there's a shortcut that we can take to try to be more successful, we'll take it. If there's a morally gray area, but it's not really gray, but it, we we're going to treat it like, like we're going to do whatever we can to get what we want. And for the people of Israel, that's what they're doing. They're saying, how can we keep this good thing going? And it's scary in the church world because sometimes a lot of times we... We're just so into comparing ourselves to other people, and that becomes a motivation for what we want. That's never a good reason for anything. And then we do this thing with spirituality, where we, we say, you know what? I'm going to do these things that God wants me to do. I'm not going to do them because I want a deeper relationship with God. I, I'm going to do them because I want to hold God hostage to do for me what I want. 
Last week, we, Ryan, Pastor Ryan preached an incredible sermon about just how as we, get, as we kick this year off, we need to make it a priority to, to pray, to read our Bibles, and to give. I mean, it's such a huge deal to us that we're actually going to take the next two Wednesday nights and we're going to give you the tools to know how to better read your Bible, to know how to better pray. We have CPOs coming and doing like a pop-up store. Like, we really want to give you the resources to be able to do this effectively because we legitimately believe that if you do, God will bless your life. But here's the tricky part with, with that, is that why do you do those things? Do, do you do them because I love God and I want more of him? Or is it, surely if I do these things, God will inevitably give me what I want? And that's really the fear that we have to, that we have to walk as we consider why we're doing the things that God wants us to do that it's very easy to look at a year and say, I want this year to be different. I'm going to do whatever I can to make it different. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to to make it a point to read my Bible. I'm going to make it a point to pray. I'm going to give. Heck, I'm even going to set up recurring giving. And and then surely if I do that, then God will give me what I want. And, And when we think like that, we're doing the same thing that the people of Israel are doing and trying to appoint a king for themselves. You're saying, I want the blessing without the purpose. And, but we'll do what they do. Like, as you consider their reasoning behind asking for a king, like on the surface, you could say that it's altruistic. You could say, you know what? We like peace. We're going to do what we can to have, like, makes sense. They say, Samuel, he's getting old. He's going to die. Let's, we're, we're, we're thinking ahead, but in all of the things that they're doing, they're abandoning the one who got them there. And so even as you look at this year and you say, okay, this is what I want God to do. This is how I want it to be different. I would just ask you, if that's what you want, are you willing to do what pleases him, even if it means you don't get what you want? But that's what the request kind of reveals inside of us as we see that. So first you see the request. Saying, Make us a king. Make us like the other nations. And then the next thing you see as we look at this story is you see, you see the warning. So the, what God says to Samuel, he says, okay, if this is what they want, then I need you to warn them. I need you to warn them what they're going to get with the king. And just let me read this to you. And just notice, notice the word take. Okay? 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 10. So, so Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest, and to make his implements of war and, to, and, the, and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards, and he'll give them to his servants. He'll take the tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He'll take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and he'll put them to his work. He'll take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king 
whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. It's kind of his way of saying, like, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. Like he's saying, okay, so you say you want a king. You want a king like the other nations. I know you're asking it because you want safety. I know you're asking it because you want security. I know, I know why you're asking what you're asking, but here's the thing. That costs something. And it might cost something you aren't willing to give. Because if you, if you appoint a king over you like the other nations, they're going to rule over you like they rule over the other nations. So that stuff that's yours, that you like, well, they're going to take it for themselves to help establish their kingdom. Those crops that have been yours, well, you need to give an additional tenth of those crops because, well, they got to, the king's got to eat and they got to pay for the, the people that serve them. Your sons and your daughters, your, 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 your children, if you, if you want a king, what they're going to do is they're going to, they're going to take your children and they're going, to, they're going to make them fight their battles. They're going to take your daughters away from you and they're going to work in their courts. But the people who you employ, who work for you, well, if they're good, they're not going to work for you very long. They're actually going to go and work for the king because the king has got to establish his kingdom. And so what God's doing is in his grace, is he's saying, hey, just before we do this, I just want to make sure that you've really thought through what you're asking. And what I find so interesting here is that in verse 8, the Lord says, these are the people who I delivered out of Egypt. He delivered them from slavery to this land that they have been promised to have in freedom. And if you, if you, I don't know if you noticed it, but at the end of this passage in verse 17, he says, you shall be his slaves. What God is warning them is he's warning them. He's saying, if you do this, you're, you're just going back into slavery. That if you appoint this person, to be, it's just a more acceptable form of what I delivered you from all those centuries ago. And man, is that not a great picture of sin? That this is what sin does in our lives. It is it promises these things. And it might even deliver on some of them, but it brings bondage. It brings pain. It brings things also that we did not sign up for. And where we think we might be getting freedom, the truth is we just, we're just walking into a different form of slavery the more we indulge sin and the more we do things that don't please God. I like the way that Jesus says it in John chapter 8. He says it this way. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. <clears throat> so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What sin does, is it promises freedom, but what Jesus does is he actually gives freedom. I think of this example with, with lying. If you've ever told a lie, you know, you, you know the bondage of sin. 
Because what happens when you tell a lie? <clears throat> you think to yourself, you know what? I'm just going to fabricate this a little bit. Because if I lie about this now, it'll make my life easier later. It's just one lie. It's not that big of a deal. It's a little white lie. Everybody does it. I can't see the problem. Then what happens? That one lie becomes another. And then like you realize, oh no, I lied to them, but I told them the truth. Gosh, I hope they don't talk to each other about that. And then you have to, then you have to adjust your story because you told a lie. And when you lie, what you find is you find that you are constantly coming up with ways to continue to keep the lie going. Something that you originally that you thought would make your life easier, and inevitably it just kind of makes your life harder, more stressful, and more frustrating. Every time. Every time we disobey God, that's the result. We think it's bringing us something good when the truth is we just haven't really thought it through. Jesus is the only one that really offers freedom. And that's what God warns them. So you see the warning, and then you see God's response. And and as you think about the the text, you have this group of people who say to the creator of the world, and they've always said to the creator of the world, I'd rather not do what you say. I would, I would actually like to abandon my covenant with you because I think I know better. Like, this is what they say to him. If you're God, how do you respond to that? Like, if I'm God, I'm thinking like lightning bolts and some display of force. But I think that what God does is actually far scarier. And I think it's a sobering reminder to us as we approach God with things that we don't really need. Look at this here. It says, but the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. Samuel gave them the warning. They said, hey, this is your last shot. They refused to obey, and they said, no. No, there shall be a king over us that we may be like the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice, make them a king. This is, this is so scary to me. Because this is what it's showing you. Is that if you, if you continue on a path that says to God, and says to what God wants, I don't want to do what you want, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want. It shows you that eventually God's going to say, okay. But there comes a day where as we, as we rebel against God, as we do things in a place, eventually the day will come where even if he has something better for us, if we stop listening to him, eventually he will let us take the thing that isn't good for us in exchange for what could have been. And man, that scares me. <laughs> even as I, was, as I was praying this week and just kind of praying about my year, I think I prayed a lot of the same things that probably you pray over your life, right? Like, like favor, success, blessing, all those things that we want. There's a part of me in my heart that's like, man, God, do I even know what's best for me? Like, I, do, do, I really, do I really know? You know, and as I look at the text, I, I, I would say I think that there's, there's hope for those of us who are committed to praying and committed to seeking the Lord. And I, and I don't know that, that we're going to miss him in the same way that the elders missed him when, as we seek God and we pray about him. And I think that we actually probably see that in the text. That in, in the text, you have these elders 
And notice, they didn't go to God. They asked Samuel to go for them. So clearly there's something about them where they don't have a relationship with, with God. They have Samuel as the one who's used. So, so they, we have something that they don't. And even with Samuel, I think that you see this gracious interaction from God that just shows the value of cultivating a presence, his presence in your life. That, that Samuel goes to God and he says, they've rejected me. And God, in his grace, said, no, it wasn't you who rejected, but it was me. And here's what you just, you see in the text, you know, if you, if you cultivate the presence of God in your life, I think that you're going to be all right. But still, but still there's this fear. There's still there's this, man, what if I get it wrong? What if I'm like, it, and I, I think even as you consider the text and you consider where it's going, as I close, I would just point out that even though they really got it wrong, that God in his grace has the ability, when we get it wrong, to make it right. And we're looking at the ministry of a man named Samuel. And he does. He, next chapter, what he's going to do is he's going to anoint a man named Saul to be the king over Israel. And he is going to be everything they don't need. But that's not the last thing that Samuel does. The last thing that Samuel does in his role is he anoints another person to be king. And it's a little shepherd boy whose name's David. And that's actually the last thing that he does. And here's the thing about that shepherd boy. That little shepherd boy, he eventually becomes king. He's the one who replaces Saul. And in his line there's another king that comes. And that's Jesus. And that even when Jesus comes into the world, how do they, how do they talk about him? They call him the son of David. And as you look and you consider this monarchy, you consider these people asking for a king, clearly God isn't for that idea. But in his grace through a shepherd boy, he comes along and he ends up making it right. So that gives us hope in the moments where we're wrong, in the moments where we do something ridiculous that's outside of his will, that God in his grace has the power to step in and make it right. I mean, and just think of like the craziness of this kingdom, that the people of God, They asked for the king that they didn't need and they killed the one that they did. And even in both of those situations, God made it right. He made it right by anointing David and he made it right by conquering death so that we might have life. And it just shows us that he has so much more for us than we could ever understand or ever imagine. Ephesians 3.20, when Paul prays, he says, he prays to God and he prays to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. That it's available to us, but we've got to cultivate it. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that even when we mess it up, that you have the ability to make it right. 
But God, even though, like, truthfully, we don't always understand what blessings should look like or what we need, you know. And so, God, I come to you, and I just pray as we turn the page on 2020 and we go into 2021, I pray, God, that you would help us to trust you, to look to you. And I pray that, that more important to us than anything that we might want in a new year would be us cultivating an ability to hear your voice, us cultivating an ability to know you. God, would you give us the strength and the desire and the ability to, to seek you with all of our hearts? God, we come to you and we need your hand. Jesus, make us more like you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this message from New Life Church this morning. And if you'd like any more information, you can check us out at nlspringfield.com.